Um, it'll be in Song of Solomon. If you open in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, uh, chapter 7. A little brief run. Um, Ecclesiastes 7, verse 25. And again, this is written when Solomon's old. Um, this is at the end of his life, and he's come back to the Lord. We know that he got away. Um, we saw last week, like in, in Deuteronomy, that he clearly violates the not to have multiple wives. He clearly violates not to be rich. You know, and, and yet we know that God was with him early on because he answers his prayer about you know, giving him wisdom. You know, and he has it. He has it in abundance to the, to the point where people are all around the world would travel to see him. And, and, and so uh, he comes back around, and he's kind of lived this as an example for us. And so... He's kind of telling us what he's learned. So Ecclesiastes 7, verse 25. I apply my heart to know and to search and to seek out wisdom. And the reason of things and to know the wickedness of folly and even of foolishness and madness. And he knows from experience on a lot of this. It's not only that he just studied it, but he participated in some foolishness, some madness in, in, in that sense that he, he went off the deep end some. Verse 26. And I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands as bands whose whoso pleaseth God shall escape from her but the sinner shall be taken by her. So there's some out there that seek to catch you, to pull you down, to drag you off the path that you're on and warn us men, avoid those. Avoid those that's not going to pull, that aren't going to keep you on the right way, they're going to pull you the wrong way. Um, Verse 27, Behold, this I have found, saith the preacher, counting one by one to find out the account, which yet my soul seeketh, but I found not. One man among a thousand have I found, but a woman among all those have I not found. He said, I looked my whole life to trying to find the one wife that would be good for me, and I didn't find it. And literally, he had a thousand. <laughs> I mean, that's, literally, that's what the verse says. That's how it was. He went after a thousand. He said he didn't find the one. So again, you know, I'm taking the stance, it's a, it's a little different in that it's um, Solomon is kind of the world in this song. Um, the Shulamite, is, it is a true love story, the Shulamite loves the shepherd, and Solomon as the world is trying to woo her away. And so we're going to see a little bit of that tonight in our story. Um, but while we're in Ecclesiastes, look at chapter 9, verse 7. Ecclesiastes 9, uh, verse 7 says, Go thy way. Eat thy bread with joy, and drink thy wine with a merry heart. For God now accepteth thy works. Let thy garments be always let thy garments uh, be always white, and let thy head lack no ointment. Uh, live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of thy life, of thy vanity, uh, which he hath given thee under the sun all the days of thy vanity. For that is the portion of this life, and in thy and in thy labor, which thou takest under the sun, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, uh, whither thou goest. Saying, basically, be content. And all these things he gets together, you know, live purely. Live with the wife from your youth. Love her. Pursue her all your days, the whole time of your life. And while you're pursuing things in this, go after her. And if you find something you enjoy to do, as far as in your work, and your do, do it. Pursue it. Now, he's not... Uh, 
we know there is life after the grave. He's talking about the body that, 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 that's dead in that way. And so he's, he's, he's just telling us to love one wife here is, is the point I want to pull out. Take one. Don't do like him. <laughs> Don't do as I do. Do as I say in, in that sense. And so uh, the Song of Solomon, let's, let's go back there. I wanted to start and just as a reminder, read chapter 6, verse 8 again. Again, just kind of bolstering why I take the stand I do. To Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 8. There are three score queens and four score concubines and virgins without number. That's 60 queens, 80 concubines. This is early in his life. That's 140 wives that he has. He gets married 860 more times. Not eight more times. You know, when you think of Elizabeth Taylor, where you think, man, she's crazy. She's been married like six times, or I don't know how many times. I meant to Google it and see. But, you know, just like, that, that's crazy. Someone's been married that many times. A thousand times? He gets married 860 more times? It's, you know, we think of someone like Elizabeth Taylor and all the marriages she has as a mockery of marriage. And, you know, those in Hollywood who get married, you know, get married a dozen times. What's this? You know? And so uh, he was king for 40 years approximately, right about there. He was a king for about 40 years. He became king around 16 years of age. And so Ecclesiastes, he's written in at his late 50s, early 60s. So he's right around in there. And if you took, and you have to just do the numbers on that, he got married 25 times a year. That's at least two times a month. Wouldn't you feel special? <laughs> I was... Which march were you? Well, I was one of the early marches. <laughs> the first and second half of the march. I don't know. He probably had a scheduling conflict just to make sure he didn't get married on the same day. He probably had multiple days. I mean, it just uh, to me, it just kind of puts it into the point that I don't think that this is Solomon you know, and his one true love. First um, Kings 4, we don't have to turn there, but we read it last week. He had a thousand and five songs. Makes you wonder, was it one for each wife? Um, but we just have one record, and it's this song, and I think it's because he saw true love for the Shulamite and her shepherd. So, just a brief review, chapter 1. Again, we have the characters. You have uh, the narrator, which I think is Solomon. We have King Solomon. We have the Shulamite, who's been taken away to his palace in chapter 1. She gets taken away to the king's palace, and it seems like it's against her will. Like, maybe it's, it's kind of a Cinderella story. We know that, that she talks about, I had to take care of my stepsisters. You know, I had no time to take care of myself. You know, I'm, I'm dark and tan because I've been out working. Um, she's a little cinder girl. And so you know, it seems like maybe it was a deal struck with her parents or something. Somehow she's there against her will because she's in love with someone else. It's not like she's fawning over King Solomon. And so she's there. She's been taken to this banquet. You know, the king sees her once and says, hey, you look pretty good if we cleaned you up a little bit. And so uh, the daughters of Jerusalem, which is the harem, that's the other characters, they say they'll clean her up. Um, we have the shepherd who's also in here, and God also speaks. But he, he, he's been, he, he says, hey, boy, you put some jewelry on her, clean her up towards the end of the chapter. You know, that'll be good. He throws a big banquet, probably because he's got some new ladies-in-waiting, you know, the more added to the, uh, the, to the daughters of Jerusalem. And um, I think that uh, the scene was probably set where they had different labels, and, and she's thinking about how her shepherd would treat her. The banner he has over me is love. You know, he doesn't have to label me who I am or whether I'm a, bro- a wife or a concubine or if I'm in the virgins-in-waiting or if I'm in and what, what group I'm in. I would be his sole devotion. You know, and so she's taking comfort in that. He's talked about their, how it'll be like when they're married, what their house will be like. You know, it's very nature-centered, you know, like um, she thinks he smells like the outdoors. You know, he talks about their house with a fur, um, uh, fur beams in it. You know, it's like, the, well, the rafters are fur, you know, and the, and the house of cedar, a good strong house, a cozy house built in the woods. And when he talks about her beauty in verse 2, or chapter 2, um, he, he compares her to, to natural things, you know, that... Um, to nature. She's like a lily 
uh, of the valley. And, and there where she is, as she thinks about the shepherd thinking back about her, that he would say that she is a lily among the thorns compared to all those other women that are there. And so, let's see where... She's a daydreamer. We've seen that a couple of times. She thinks about him constantly. Um, at the banquet, I think she kind of maybe dozed off there once or daydreamed about him. Maybe they called her name and you're like, hey, hey, hey. And she has to be brought back to attention. Uh, but, but she's probably made a little scene there. Um, I think that's about where we are. Look, look at like verse uh, 5 of chapter 2. Stay me with flagons, comfort me with apples, for I am sick of love. I think she's... Um, they ask her what's wrong with her. You know, why aren't you behaving like the rest of us? Why aren't you into the scene? We're in King Solomon's palace. You know, there's a banquet going on. And she's like, I'm lovesick. You know, I don't want to be here. I want to be home. This has ruined our plan. Uh, his left hand is under my head, and his right hand doth embrace me. <clears throat> and, and so I still think she's kind of daydreaming here. That would be how I would put my spin on it. But it's them picking her up, and then she realizes it, and she awakes. And then she charges them for the first time. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem by the rose and by the hinds of the field, that you stir not up, nor wake my love till he pleases. And so she's saying, let me daydream. Don't wake me up. I don't want to be here. Let, let me stay lost in my thoughts. Um, and then she thinks she hears him. So she, she's made this little scene, you know, whether she's passed out or whether they've, you know, maybe Solomon made a big deal. Oh, I'd like to also know the Shulamite. And she's over there daydreaming, and they're like, pay attention. You know, something you can just kind of, in my mind, I see the scenario. So she's made a little scene, and so she begins to think that, Maybe my shepherd's coming for me. Maybe he's coming today. Maybe it'll be now. And um, she instills a little fear in them. She's like, my shepherd's fast. And he's clever. You're not going to catch him. Because that's what, look at verse 8. The voice of my beloved. You know, she thinks she hears him. Behold, he cometh, leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. He is quick. He's been raised in the woods. He chases after sheep all the day long or out in these pastures. And so he can run across these hills like nobody's business. You're not going to catch him. If he comes, he's going to be quick. He's going to take me away. He'll be like a thief in the night. Isn't that how we're supposed to be waiting for our shepherd? You know, he'll be a thief in the night. We never know. You ever had those times where you thought you've heard him? I've told you before, I was at work one time, and I thought I heard a trumpet, and I was like, more right. <laughs> I thought I was going to get taken right then and there, and it didn't happen. But uh, Elaine, you know, uh, wakes up in the middle of the night, and they couldn't find Danny. Uh, Danny was a baby at that time. It was when he's innocent, a long time ago. Uh, but <laughs> he was innocent. Um, but uh, what, your mom and dad were gone. You know, and he's a deacon. She's a Sunday school teacher. They're gone, and she's running around panicking, and she looks at her sister, and she goes, I don't trust you. And her sister looks at her, I don't trust you. Let's see if Danny's in the bed. So he was still there. So they thought the rapture might have happened, but they had to prove it by looking and see if the baby was still there. And so, um, but, he was, but have you ever had that where you think, today might be the day, or now might be the time? Well, you got one. Uh, I like, <laughs> oh, yeah. It was a city. <laughs> and it went off and just kept going, and I'm like, by myself, and I'm looking out the window. <laughs> It's nerve-wracking, you know, so it's that kind of that sense there. You're like, now might be the time, and we're supposed to have an expectancy. We never know the day nor the hour. He might come for us. We're to be living as if it is today. It could be the time. Remember, like the, the ten virgins, you know, we're supposed to keep our lamps trimmed, the, the oil ready, you know, the lamps, the lights are burning. We're to be without spot, without blemish. We're to be protected, busy about the master's business. You get to Matthew, into Matthew 24, Matthew 25, he talks about all of it, us being ready, good servants, faithful servants, the ones he finds busy about the master's business. We want to be that way. She wants to be that way for her shepherd. 
that she's not given in to what's going on, she's not caught up in the trappings of the world or, or what King Solomon's doing, that she is thinking on him, that she is focusing on him, that when he comes, that she'll be ready and ready to go. But sadly, sometimes the longer you're in the world, the longer it's been since he's come, we get off course, don't we? We get mired down by things in the world, and so we might see that with her here tonight as well. Um, look at verse 9. My beloved, she's talking about him, my beloved is like a roe, like a deer, or young heart, you know, like a rabbit. Uh, he, uh, behold, he standeth behind our wall. He looketh forth at the windows, showing himself through the lattice. She's like, I think I, think I saw him. You know, I really, you know, she really, like, I think I, he was looking through. He was seeing how I was doing. And you can almost imagine that. Her, the shepherd's uh, love of his life has been gone. They're having a big palace. You know, there's a party going on. Chances are this was at least twice a month. And so he knows how it's going to be. Maybe the guard's a little bit more lack. You know, the wine's flowing. Things are going. So he goes in for a closer look. How's she doing? What's going on? And so she thinks she sees a glimpse of him going by. So she gets excited about it, that he's checking up on her. She's seeing how he is doing. The Lord watches over us all the time. And so she's saying, you can go after him, but he's fast. He's faster than you think. He's clever. Verse 10, my beloved spake, and he said unto me, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For the low, and so I think she's at this point, um, you know, daydreaming, you know, but she still thinks it might happen. And then maybe even Solomon sends out people to go after her, but she's, um, but she's already, and she's imagining what it'll be like and he's telling her what it's like where he is. I get caught up in my notes. I've been, I don't know where I am. Verse <laughs> says, For lo, winter is past, and the rain is overgone. Uh, and so he's telling her what season it is. Um, verse 12, The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing of birds has come. The voice is turtle. Uh, the turtle is heard in the land, and we all know what turtles sound like. Turtle, turtle. No, no, but they're not, uh, turtle doves. You know, it's the turtle dove. It's the time of, of spring. Just a second. Let me get caught back up here. Wrong section. Yep. And um, verse 13, the fig, uh, the fig tree putteth forth her green figs. The vines with their tender grape give a good smell. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. And so he's telling her to be prepared. He's telling her to, uh, to be ready. Um, verse 14. Oh, my dove, again, he's talked about her dove's eyes before. Oh, my dove, thou art in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the stairs. Let me see thy countenance. Let me hear thy voice. For sweet is thy voice, and thy countenance is comely. At this point, I think that they're, um, he, he's reminding her and, and talking about maybe the places where they stole glimpses, um, where they had time together. Uh, remember those secret places? You know, we're supposed to have a secret place where we meet together with him. You know, it's a secret time of prayer, a time where we study, a time where we go before him. And, and she's remembering theirs. You know, remember she worked for uh, a stepmother and had step-siblings. And, and maybe there was times when they were together at, at, at harvest or times in the city that they could get together. And, and, and maybe when she had to go out in the field, they could go in that cleft of the rock. And, and they would be able to see each other, that special place where they'd have just a second to say, hey, how are you doing? I'm, I'm all right. Hang in there. Not too long. It'll be our wedding day, and, and we'll be out of all this. And they would encourage one another. Or there's that place under the stairs. Maybe that's in town someplace where they could go, and there's a stairway that had a little covey underneath it that they could get away to and, and just say you know, hey to each other and just to encourage and steal one another you know, to wait. Let's just wait a little bit longer. We have that. We read his word, and he'll tell you, be consistent. Stay faithful to me. I'm coming. I'm not delaying. I'm just long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. But he's telling us to stick by the stuff, to hang on. And he gives us little glimpses. We have those times when the Lord is so close to us uh, that, that we can almost, like, I know it's got to be soon. It's, it's got to be now. You know, I, I just feel so close to him here and there that 
it helps us to continue on, get, get little confirmations that this is real and that he's real and it's really going to come and it's really going to count and the, the scripture opens up to us and the Holy Spirit talks to us and, and we see how it is and, and, when we, and we're bullied by it in the sense that we'll stand for our faith. We're not going to compromise and we rally ourselves together. Maybe it's on a Sunday morning, maybe it's on a Wednesday night, maybe it's in our daily time when you're, or you're driving to work or driving someplace and you're listening to Christian radio and, and, and some text comes across and you're like, yes! And all of a sudden that locks or unlocks something that is there and you see how several verses come together and you're like, yes! And Holy Spirit's teaching you through the Word and you're just like, I can't wait to be together. It's, it's that kind of, it's, it's, wait a minute. And he says, I know you're beautiful. Verse 15. Oh, wait a minute. Um, yeah, turn to 1 Corinthians. I'm going to skip this one. Um, and again, if, if we think back about 1 Corinthians 13, if you think back about maybe them stealing some glances of one another and getting together, and, there's, and they might bully each other by saying, you know, say, one day we'll be married, one day we'll be husband and wife, and one day, you know, uh, we'll be in our house, and it'll be us together, and we'll have all the time in the world, and I don't know, I dated this girl for five years. And often, that's how we would talk. One day, you know, we'd set our wedding date. One day, it'll be our house, and, and we'll be together, and we'll have that. And, um, and, and we did, you know, but that encouraged us along the way to, to stick by the stuff and to go. And, uh, and I got some more to say about that, but uh, it, it gets, sometimes it gets hard. But First Corinthians um, 13, verse 11. It says, when I was a child, I spake as a child, and I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But I became a man, I put away childish things. For now, we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as I am known. We get glimpses. I get little tastes. We talked about when Christ was on earth, it was a taste of the kingdom, when he would heal people, when he would feed people, when, when he would teach them, and they would be caught up in him and his teaching and, and, and the things that were going on. And, and sometimes we're in the Word, it's the same way. But one day, it won't just be through a glass darkly and, and vaguely understanding what it might be like. We will be there. You ever take time to think about that? One day, it'll be this body, your body, if you've repented and trusted Christ as Savior, will be transformed and we'll be walking into the gates of heaven. Working downtown where I do, and I know there's some of you that have been with me as we've walked downtown, and I've stopped and told you some of my rituals. Uh, I'm right by the one American building. That's the building with the flag. Not the bunny ears building. That's what the kids call the one with the tower. At least they, the kids are 20s. But, but they always call it the bunny ears building. I, I live by, I live by 30-some years I've lived there. <laughs> by, uh, right uh, north of the one America, the one with the big flag on it. And it's just about, and, and by, by my calculations and all, and I was outside looking at it, it's the, the stories that are there, I think it's 31, 32, it's about like the wall around the New Jerusalem. And so I've walked towards it at lunch many a times, you know, to get down to go to the bank on Monday. I'll walk by there tomorrow unless it's cold. <laughs> but I'll, I'll walk by there and, and, um, and I'll look at it and I'll think, one day I'll be walking up to the gates that are around the New Jerusalem and I'll be walking towards it and it'll be about that height. I'll think, what will that be like? And, I've taken the time and I've looked at my hands. I'm like, it'll be these hands. And I'll be standing outside the gate of the New Jerusalem, walking towards it. 
what singing will be like and what will it be like as we approach the pearly gate and as we go through and I see the 12 foundation stones that sound for the, the, the 12 uh, tribes of Israel and the 12 disciples and we have this and the that and the angels that are guarding and protecting and the songs that are going and just over the wall because the wall is nothing. It is like a curb around the Empire State Building compared to the size of the New Jerusalem that is inside and what lights will be on display. God's throne is there and he is unapproachable light and it's sparkling forth and, and Revelation we get those things about emerald rainbows and rainbows upon rainbows and the songs and how things are going forth. And I'm like, what will that be like? And I think one day I will be doing that. I think we've got an appointment, right? Outside the city wall every once in a while. We'll get together and we'll walk, walk in together and we'll sing. We're marching to Zion because we sang that together and we'll be singing as we go in together as a church and say, man, it's here, it's real. And it was God's word was true and, and we're going through. That'll be exciting. I remember being downtown once for, I think it was when the... It was a basketball game or something, a big college basketball game. And we were walking down there. I think we were going to watch Butler warm up for, or something at the Lucas Oil. And people were singing their fight songs together. All, you know, all these colleges, and they're all marching, going through. And they're underneath the bridge where you're walking under the train tracks there. And it was echoing, and they were really singing. It was going. And it was like, and we'll all be joined in the same song in one accord, you know, singing songs and hymns together. And we're like, somebody will be singing about the old rugged cross. We'll jump in. We're like, yeah, you know, how it'll be. And just... Sing it like we've never sung it before. So what a day that would be. And it's neat to imagine what that's like, but it's like looking through a glass darkly. We get a vague recollection of what it might be, especially when you think of how their mirrors were. You know, they weren't quite as polished and as nice as we have. And so we get a dim reflection. Uh, they have the temple and the things that were copies of what was in there. And so we'll get there and it'll be familiar to us, but it's just dim. But one day we will be there. One day it'll be face to face. One day it's called the consummation. We know what that is. You know, it's a fulfillment. It is there. Same term used in wedding when a husband and wife comes together. And so it'll be that when we'll be consummated. We'll be husband and wife in that sense. We'll be Christ with his bride forever for eternity. So what a day that will be. And so they're, they're like that. Look at verse, um, Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 15. Take us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. Um, to them, it didn't seem like it would ever happen, that that day would ever come when they would get together and be married. And foxes tried to steal, they tried to spoil, they tried to take away the, the fruit, or in this case, to steal their love. As I say, Elaine and I dated for five years uh, before we got married. We will be married 28 years this year, so that's 33 years. She's put some time in with this guy. Hasn't she? But it seemed like it would be forever. Well, never. It's five years a long time. Who dates that long? And we're never going to get together. We're never going to get married. And now, 28 years later, it seems like yesterday. You know, It's worth the wait. It's worth the wait. If it's worth doing, the Bible teaches us that. It's worth waiting for. And especially in marriages, he uses it that way. He says it's worth waiting for. It's worth doing it right. God rewards those who patiently wait for him. Same thing with with going to heaven. He will reward those who wait for him. I, I could go through and, and spend most of the rest of the service here if I just went through the verses that says we're to wait for his son. We are waiting for his son, looking for his son, waiting for him to appear. Uh, there's a song I have on a bluegrass album, and I know we all love bluegrass. But it's one I have, and it's, it talks about it's this, um, it's a story song, and it's about uh, this girl, and she sees this richest man in Texas, and, you know, and, and she's just out cleaning the stairs. It's a Cinderella story. He says, I'll be back in a year to marry you, and and she makes her own dress, and she's waiting, and her friends are all mocking her, making fun of her. But then at the last minute, when the day's about to be over, the day he promised he would be there, she hears these bells of the horses on the chariot come running down there, and he's there to pick her up and take his bride away to the mansion he's built for her in Chicago or something. It's supposed to be based kind of roughly on a true story. And it's just like, yeah, I understand that picture. 
It'll be that way. The world might mock us for keeping ourselves for Him, living like Him, living by His rules, living to His standards, living as if, because He is real, because He is among us, and they see us as being crazy. We'll be crazy on the day He comes. It'll be those who didn't see Him. Uh, I remember hearing a story about a guy on the shore, and he sees this cruise ship, and he's like, that's a nice cruise ship. Boy, all the stuff they got on it, you know, carnival cruise, parties and everything going on to hear all the music. And he sees these people getting off and getting in a lifeboat and rowing away, and he's like, how stupid could they be? They got the big party central right there. They're on this boat until the boat sank. It's like, that was some smart people. They got off the boat. They saw the tragedy. They weren't allured by the pleasure for a little while. And they got away and they got to safety. That's us now. Don't be allured by the cruise ship. We need to be prepared and, and, and have the lifeboat of Jesus Christ. And so when we come, we will be rescued. And the others will have great destruction. And the Bible talks about that often. And so... People might try to spoil it, and we had people try to break us up and things, but uh, stick to the stuff. And that's kind of what she's going to, rehearsing the things that they've talked about in their mind. Verse 16, my beloved is mine, and I am his. He feedeth among the lilies. And so she's just, that's again, that's bolstering her resolve. My beloved is mine, and I am his. I am his, and he is mine. We are betrothed one to another. We are promised one to another. I am his, and she's basically, hurry up till he comes. <laughs> uh, I know where he is. I know what he's doing, uh, and I am his, and he feedeth among the lilies. She knows he's out doing his job. Verse 17, until the day break and the shadows flee away, turn, my beloved, and be thou like a roe or a young heart upon the mountains of beer. She's like, come quickly. Come quickly is basically what she's saying. Be like that heart. Be like that row that runs across the hill. Come bursting across there. Get me out of here. Let's get gone. Let, let's get out of this place. And so she's saying, come quickly. Uh, we have a word for that. Maranatha. Right? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. That's what we're saying by that. It used to be a greeting that Christians would greet one another as they see one another. Maranatha. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Well, we're waiting. This life is hard. Life is rough. We're, we're dying in the, in the Colosseums. Things are going on. Maranatha. Oh, Lord, come. You know, that, that's, that's a greeting that they would have. That's the same we should have. Second um, Timothy, let's turn there real quick. Second Timothy chapter 4. So the Shulamites teaching us things that we should have as Christians as we wait for the Son of God. Uh, we should be faithful unto him. We should remind ourselves of the promises that he's made us. We should remind ourselves of the commitment that we made to him that he's made to us. That I am yours, you are mine, that he's, he saved us in that way. We should remain pure. We're supposed to be that. He wants himself to be a pure, wants us to be a pure bride. Paul talks about that often. Present to him a pure bride without spot, you know, that we don't want to be tainted, you know, tainted by the world. And so that's what we're going to see, the battles that she has against the world to remain pure and to her shepherd. And I think it's very applicable for us today. Uh, 2 Timothy 4, uh, I'm in verse, 2 Timothy 4, verse 8. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give unto me at that day, not to me only, but unto all them that love is appearing. You want a crown? You're thinking, I don't know what I can do to earn a crown. Long for him to come. Say, I can't wait to see my Savior face to face. Long for him to come get you, to long for you to be with him. Think about it. Daydream about it. Wonder about it. Search the scripture about it. What will it be like that day? What will the day be like? What will the time be like? What will it be like when we get there? He says, there's a crown for those who love his appearing. They're right there. You want to earn one? That's it. Be that way. That's how she is. Uh, Revelation 22, I think I got one there. 
Revelation 2 and verse 20. It says, He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. He tells us when I come, it'll be quick. Be like a thief in the night. You'll be stolen. We'll be taken right out of the way. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, there'll be a moment in the twinkling of an eye and we shall be changed. This body is corrupt. We'll take on incorruptible. We'll be changed. We'll be given a new body that won't die, that won't have disease, that won't sin. Can you imagine how free our mind will be if we're not battling sin? Jealous thoughts, you know, judging thoughts, all, just to free up to be able to worship Him and serve Him without failing. He'll give us a job to do, and we'll do it without dropping the ball on it and being sidetracked by a stupid TV show or whatever else. You know, we'll just go and fulfill it and say, yes, Lord, and we'll go. And, and, and boy, I could take all night on that, too, and some verses about how we'll do that in the kingdom forever. Heaven will not be a boring place. Heaven will be an exciting place. We're studying the exciting one that is unsearchable. His ways are unsearchable and His knowledge past finding out. We will not become God. We will not know everything. We will be studying God and learning God forever. And it will never be run out. And I think about how many things it will have to show Him. I think about as we travel around here, things I learn about Him, things I see about Him. Um, Carl and Peggy and I are talking about state parks and the things we see in nature in that way. It's like how miraculous God is in creation and how He displays these things. And we see Him and appreciate Him better through history. The things that He's done that we see and we appreciate Him better. It's going to be the same thing as we fellowship with one another, as we travel around the world for Him, as we conquer things for Him. That we'll see and we'll appreciate Him better. It won't just be standing around doing something all the time. We'll be busy about Him. We'll be living on this world back where it was, where Adam puts him in the garden to take and te- keep and tend it and come together. Um, matter of fact, the temple's only open on certain days when we've studied that before too, but uh, he says he is coming. Matter of fact, John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place, I will come again for you. First uh, Corinthians 11, when we take communion, we're to do this till the Lord comes. He has all these things to remind us. I'm coming. Remember, I am real. I was really down here. I really died for you. This is the bread that reminds you it was really my body. This is the juice that reminds you it was really my blood that I gave my life for you. And I do this until I come again so that we don't forget and so that we will remember him. And so we have things like the Shulamite had with her shepherd to remind us that this is not fake. That this is not a waste of time. This is time well spent. And any time spent with Him is time well spent. That will make a difference for eternity. And the more we think about Him, and the more we study Him, and the more we prepare for Him, the better that will be. Uh, Hank Hanegraaff compared it to a golf course. He said he got um, an opportunity to go play at Augusta. I'm not a giant golfer. I just go out there and get aggravated. And but <laughs> so we go out there. But he wanted to play Augusta. You know, this is like the creme de la creme of a golf course. And he said so. He wanted to have the best experience. He was there. So what did he do? He went to his local golf course day after day after day after day and practiced his game so when he was there, he wouldn't be throwing his club and kicking his cart. And doing, he wanted to have a good time there. And so he beat his body into submission so the day that he went there, he could enjoy it and play better. You want to spend eternity and have it be a wonderful, wonderful time? Beat our body into submission, as Paul tells us. Stay within the rules. Don't disqualify ourselves. And, 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 and to, to box, to fight the good fight and to stay the course and to not be pulled off track. So on that day, he can say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. And so we can learn that through the Shulamite here um, as, as we study this. Let me go on to my next chapter here. I have all these different books. Notes everywhere. Chapter 3. Uh, so I, the banquet hall, she made a scene. She let it be known that her shepherd was coming. 
maybe instilled a little fear in there. She talked about how fast he was, how clever he was, and how she'd seen him looking through the lattice at her. And so he's probably now just waiting for the right time. So these reports get back to her. You know, she's even saying, is he behind the wall? Is he looking for there? He's here, he's there, he's everywhere. Beware. You know, he's coming after me. You know, we need to be prepared for him. She's like, no, I see him through the lattice. And so she declares that she's ready at any moment. Come get me. I'll go with you and I'll be gone. Now it's nighttime. That's over with. It's been an exciting day. And I don't know if you had an exciting day that um, some of my children, after they had an exciting day, would usually talk out in their sleep that night. You know, because it's been real busy. You've been around the um, cousins and things and things were fun. You know, and I'd have more aggravated sleep just because it had a lot in their mind going on. I'm still kind of that way. If I, if I had a really, really busy day, it's going to have really, really busy dreams in that way. And so she's kind of that way. And she must be sound asleep, she must be wore out, but she's dreaming about him. Her mind seems like it's always on him, that's how we should be too. But even in her sleep, she's focused on her shepherd, verse 1 of chapter 3. By night on my bed, I sought him whom my soul loveth. I sought him, but I found him not. So it's kind of like she's having one of those chasing dreams, He's running along. I think Elaine thinks I have every night. Uh, <laughs> kicking and wrestling around, just restless sleep. She's just wrestling, oh, yeah, yeah. chasing after him in her sleep. And, and she knows she's to wait for him, but her dream seems so real. She's like, is it really a dream? And, and so she goes on. She says, I will rise now and go about the city and the streets. and the broad ways I will seek him whom my soul loveth. I sought him, but I found him not. So in her dream, she's like, it seems so real. I better go look and make sure. Maybe I missed him just for that second. And I got to go see if I can catch him and get online and, and, and go and catch him. So she goes out and she's running in the streets now. Verse 3, the watchmen that go about the city found me. And it's not at the time of war, but that's how these cities were set up. They'd have a watchman patrolling, making sure there's no mischief going on at night. And so this watchman finds her, to whom I, uh, to whom I said, saw you him whom my soul loveth. Again, she's, she's in the streets. <laughs> she's running around and she's probably dressed pretty well. She's come from the palace and they've cleaned her up from this banquet. And so... She's running and um, says she looks, she can't find him. She finds this guy and, um, and she's like, have you seen him? Like she, he knows who she's talking about. <laughs> so he doesn't know. And she can't make him understand. And so she begins to run some fur- further. Verse 4, it was but a little uh, that I passed from them. So she's only detained just a little while. She's able to get away. I'm on this urgent thing. I'm looking for him. She says, but I found whom my soul loveth. I held him and would not let go until I had brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber uh, that she had conceived of me. So she dreams that she's caught him here, because of what it's going to turn out to be. Because um, look at verse 5. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, the second time she charges them, by the rose and by the hinds of the field, that you stir not up, nor wake my love till he pleases. She say, they wake her up, she's dreaming. And so what it turns out is that she's having a dream within a dream. Uh, that's called a false awakening. You ever had that where you're in a dream and you feel like you get up and you go to work and, and you're going to work and I'm not getting paid for it, but I'm at work and I wake up again. It's like, that's a false awakening. You dream that you get awake in your dream and you're doing your daily business things. That's called a, a false awakening. It's also called lucid dreaming if you're moving around within your dream and I, I you know, try to control your dream and steer it that way. So she's doing that. She's such a deep dream that she gets up within her dream and then she turns out she's a dream within her dream in that way. And so they wake her up. But she thought she'd found him and she thought she like, got him. Boy, I'm not letting go of you. I'm taking you home to mama. But her mom's dead because she had a stepmother. You know, so she's in a dream, but she's thinking in my perfect world, what would happen? I would catch him. I would love him. I would take him home to my mother, my family. She would be happy for him. My, my mom wants me to be happy. My mom wants me to marry the guy I love. She wants me to be there. She wouldn't have turned me over to King Solomon like my stepmother must have. 
And so she's just saying what she does. She's, she's struggling in her sleep. They're waking her up thinking, what, something's wrong with her? She's having a nightmare. And she yells at him again, I charge you, if you hear me dreaming about him, don't you wake me up. You know, until you let go of me. She goes, not until he comes to get me. You let me continue to dream and think about him. So that's how we should be, thinking about him. So the second time she charges him to that, I will dream and I will be with him one day. And she makes her resolution sure and known unto them. I am not going to be one of Solomon's. I'm going to be my beloved's. I'm going to be the shepherd's, and that's it. So the harem, as I think about this, think this new girl's probably crazy. And uh, she's thinking, boy, I, I don't... Uh, they probably think, what's wrong with her? Why can't she be like everybody else? Doesn't the world think that of us? Why can't you be like everybody else? Why do you always have to stand for Christ? Or why do you have to take the stand for that? What do you mean you won't go to the bar? Or you won't go to this drink? And you won't go to that? I got that in high school. I got that in my adult life. Why don't you go? And why can't you go here? I'm like, ah, I don't go to that restaurant. Like, why not? I'm like, well, if you saw me eating there, would you be surprised? Because <laughs> a lot of time I get to, come to this restaurant, we'll have lunch. I'm like, is it a bar? No, it's not a bar. <laughs> I'm like, if you came in and I was eating there, would you be like, what are you doing here? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm not trusting you. I'm not going in there. And so I'm um, so trying to trip you up a little bit. And they're like, so yeah, they think we're crazy. Why do you live so differently? Why do you behave so differently? Why do you dress so differently? Why do you listen to different things? Why don't you go do everything that everybody else is doing? Come on, everybody else is doing it. And my dad would say, everybody jumped off a bridge. We did it too. And then bungee cords came out and I got in trouble. No, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, um, you know, don't conform. Don't conform. It is a hard thing. The world is set up to make you conform to who they are, to think like they are, to do what they do, to behave like they want you to behave. We're to conform to the image of, our, of the, His dear Son. That's what the Word tells us. You want to conform? You conform to Him. You want to be like somebody? You be like Him. Don't be like the world. Don't be like all their trappings. You be like Him. And so she's standing true for who she is, and yet they are trying to conform her, to win her. So we need to stand. And so they make this big scene. And I think in the harem, I can imagine that it's pretty cutthroat. Um, nothing like women competing for a man. And so all these want to be the next bride of Solomon. Um, and so I can imagine that they would probably do anything to show their loyalty. And so I think that they've probably, you know, because they think, I think, I think if they get his loyalty that maybe he'll pick them to be the next bride. And so I think voices from inside the harem report to Solomon that this girl's desire is not to be here. She's in love with somebody else. She's expecting him to come and take him away out of you, King Solomon, with guards and a castle and walls. And after you've lavished all this attention and cleaned her up and given her all these fine things, he's going to come take her away and she's going to go. And so going to come rescue her and take, him, take her away in that way. So I think Solomon's pride's hurt a little bit. I think he probably thinks that, you know, hey... I thought everybody wanted to be married to me. At least a thousand of them will. You know, and so he, he, I, I thought that's what girls wanted. You know, and so he might be a little surprised. And I think that he's thinking, boy, I marry princesses. I marry daughters of foreign dignitaries. I marry all these important people. I've been married 140 times, and she's going to be 141. She should be impressed by this. You know, what's going on? So maybe she's a little more country than I thought. Maybe she's a little more backwoods and doesn't really know who I am. So I think maybe an idea springs in his head. She doesn't understand who I am and all the great things I have to offer. I need to show her. I need to show her who I am and how great I am. And then she'll appreciate what I've done for her and what she has laid before her feet. So the narrator takes over the story. Verse 6. Who is this that cometh out of the wilderness like pillars of smoke? Perfumed with myrrh and frankincense and with powders of the merchant. Ah, he's really laid it on. Uh, 
He's coming down, he's making a big deal, he's coming out of the wilderness. Matter of fact, he's coming up out of this thing and he's making smoke as he goes, kind of like in the old-fashioned cowboy movies, you can see a big thing of horses coming because the, the, the smoke that would come off the trail, you know, the dust. Uh, but man, they can smell him coming. He's perfumed with myrrh, he's got frankincense on, he's got all the powders of the merchant, he's really done it up nice, you can smell him coming a block away. You ever been like that? Had somebody walk by at the mall or something, like, whoa, I smelled him coming, still smell him as we're leaving. You know? So he's got it all piled on, he, he's, he's going to impress the ladies here. And so he, he, he's piled it on here, everything the merchant's got. Verse 7, <laughs> again, my best narrator voice here. Behold his bed! And this would be what he's writing, his, um, his uh, pallet, his beer that he's being carried on. Behold his bed, which is Solomon's. Three score valiant men are about it, and of the valiant, of, 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 the valiant of Israel. And so he's got 60 guys carrying his, his platform, his beer. So you, we've seen them in those parades that usually like a Pharaoh or a Caesar on there. They're, they're carrying him around doing it. His is so big and heavy, he's got 30 guys on the side. Had to carry him around, and they're kicking up this dust because they're carrying it around, and they're huffing it, and, and he's pulling out all the stops to show her how special he is. And I love this because I'm thinking, if my view is right and we're doing this, that Solomon really gets, <laughs> I was quite the jerk. You know, so he can almost read the narrator in the sense, putting on a, boy, I thought I was really impressing her. And I just showed what I really was in this sense. <laughs> but verse 7, Behold his bed, which is Solomon's three score men that are about it and valiant of Israel. They all hold swords, being expert at war. Every man hath his sword upon his thigh because of the fear of the night. And so he's got these guys and they've got their swords on. And so it's an armored car in a sense that he, they've got their little uh, swords. They're probably maybe twisting to do a little show every once in a while and putting it on. And he's got all the bling on it. And there's a fear in the night. What's the fear in the night? Her shepherd might come and get her. He's letting them know. It's like, I've got things guarded. I've got protection. I've beefed up security. If you guys are going to come, he's going to have to come like a thief and steal you away. As we've already said, our God will. And so he's going to put it on this show and letting them know. He's sending a message to the shepherd. You watching? Are you as fast as you think? Are you looking down what you're doing? Do you have 60 men with weapons who are trained at war? The best of Israel around you? I've got that. Reminds me of the Antichrist. <laughs> What's the Lord say? He speaks. He's gone. You know, it's like he resists. He pulls out all the best guns. He's gotten nothing. But I think he's trying to send a message here to the shepherd. Watch out. You know, I've got resources. I'm trying to be a scary guy. Verse 9. King Solomon made himself a chariot of the wood of Lebanon. It's the finest wood that you could find. He's got that. And so he's showing off his car here. Verse 10. He made the pillars thereof of silver. The bottom there of gold covering it of, of purple. And purple you know, shows royalty. It was a very uh, rare uh, little snail that they would have to get this. It would take thousands of them to get enough to dye something. He's covered in purple. The midst thereof being paved with love for the daughters of Jerusalem. It's, it's all the show for them. It's a show car for them. He's got spinner rims. He's got neon lights. He's even got the little hydraulics on it. That make, he's got them pulling up, pulling down. He's, he's, he's trying to impress. You, know, you can think of, you can probably go downtown Franklin on a Saturday night and see the same guys in their cars trying to impress and show on everything that's going on. And so he, he's there. He's putting out the stops, letting her see that. See how rich I am. See how famous I am. See how much money I have. And I do this for you, O daughters of Jerusalem. It's for my love for you, O harem, that I'm going to pick my next bride from. Verse 11, go forth, O you daughters of Zion, and behold King Solomon. He's doing this to get them out to look at him as he goes around the block one more time. And behold King Solomon, with the crown wherewith his mother crowned him on the day of his espousals, and in the day of the gladness of his heart. He's wearing his wedding crown. He's going to pick a bride. But do notice it does say the day of his espousals. <laughs> It's not like he was ever just, you know, that he was engaged once. No, he'd been engaged 140 times. We'll be engaged 860 more times. 
<coughs> and so his mother, Queen Bathsheba, had given him this, and so he's wearing his wedding crown. And so who is going to be the next special girl? And so he's there to impress. And Solomon was impressive. Jesus even said in uh, Matthew 12, you know, Consider Solomon, you know, that he's dressed in all his finest array. You know, that even Jesus, when he's talking about the lilies and the, and the fire, he goes, he, is, he had clothes to put on. He could, he's wiser, he's smarter, he's richer than anybody. And he talked about that. So Solomon's ride was pretty impressive, and it sounds hard to beat. What about Jesus' chariot? Ezekiel 1 talks about that, that wheel within a wheel. Let's look at that real quick. Ezekiel 1. It's not that he does it to impress, it's just what's there. Ezekiel 1, verse 14 says, And living creatures ran and returned in the appearing of the flashes of lightning. Oh, you, oh wait, wait, I jumped ahead. Look at verse 4, sorry. <laughs> I jumped to my inverse. And I looked and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north. Pillar of smoke? <laughs> How about a whirlwind? You have a tornado coming in front of you. And this sense, you know, it's so much better than Saul. It came out of the north, a great cloud and fire enfolding itself. And the brightness was about it. And out of the midst thereof was the color of amber in the midst of the color of fire. And so you get this fire enfolding on itself throughout this tornado that comes around. Yeah, you would stop and be terrified if you saw this coming. Also in the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. And they had the likeness of a man. And everyone had four faces, and everyone had four wings, and their feet were straight feet, and their sole of their feet was likened to the sole of a calf's foot, and they sparkled like the color of burnished brass. And so they're shining this brass color that's sparkling with these <laughs> cloven feet. Ooh, they sound scary. Verse 8, And they had the hands of a man under their wings, and under their four sides, and the four had their faces and their wings, and their wings were joined one to another, and they turned not when they went. They went everywhere, one straight forward. And so we can see them bolting out in a hurry, and they come back. In verse 10, it says, And their likeness was on their faces, and they had uh, the four had the face of a man, the face of a lion on the right side, and the four had the face of an ox on the left side, and the four had the face of an eagle. And so they got these four faces on them. That gives a scary picture. Uh, these were the faces of their wings. Everyone stretched upward, two wings, everyone that were joined together one to another. And the two covered their bodies, and they went everyone straight forward, whether the spirit was to go. And they went, and they returned not when they went. And as their likeness was the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, and like the appearance of lamps. And it went up and down among the living creatures, and the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning. So you have this fire that comes up and down, and lightning bolts that, that spit forth. And the living creatures ran and returned as the appearance of a flash of lightning. So they'd be up close, they'd be away. And I think Ezekiel standing here beholding this, they see him coming and they are coming to test him. Is this the guy we let in or is this the one we destroy? Because no sin comes before our Savior. And so they're coming bursting forward in this way. It's like, <gasps> it'd be scary. Talk about pulling up and putting the fear of God and yet God does that. Verse 15, now as I behold the living creatures, behold one wheel was upon the earth and the living creatures with the four faces, the appearance of the wheels and the work was likened to the color of barrel. And the four had one likeness, and their appearance of the work was, as it were, the wheel within the middle of a wheel. That means they can go any direction. That's what it is. This is not a UFO encounter. This is not whatever X-Files or alien encounters or anybody else wants to tell you. This is just God showing his omnipresence, his omnipotence, that he could be everywhere, see everything, and that he is guarded. You don't wander into his presence. Uh, Everything is usually destroyed. Verse 17. And when they went, they went upon their four sides, and they turned not when they went. And as for the rings, they were so high that they were dreadful, and their rings were full of eyes round about them. They can see everything. They know everything. Verse 19, And when the living creatures went, their wheels went with them, and the living creatures were lifted up from the earth, and the wheels lifted up. Whithersoever the Spirit went to go, they went, thither they 
was in spirit to go, and that the wheels were lifted over against them. For the spirit of the living creature was the wheels. And when those went, those went with them stood, uh, and these stood. And when those uh, were lifted from the earth, the wheels were lifted from over against them, and the spirit of the living creatures was at the wheels. And, and the likeness of the firmament was upon their heads, was the living, uh, living creatures was the color of a terrible crystal stretched forth over their heads above. So it's a clear brightness thing. <clears throat> and under the firmament of their wings, straight one towards another, every one had two which covered on this side, and every one had two which covered on that side of their bodies. And when they went, I heard the noise of their wings was like the noise of great waters, as the voice of the Almighty, the voice of speech as the noise of an host. And they stood and they let down their wings. So it has a mighty roar as it comes. If you've ever stood at the ocean and you heard it rush in, and I've never been at the ocean where rocks are, so I can't imagine how much louder that is. But I've been out in the water trying to talk to my boys in that way, and it's like, Hey, this is pretty fun, isn't it? This is just a little bee wave, let alone this roaring wave. And it says it's like that. It's just loud. It says it's like the voice of Almighty, and you should be terrified. And so and it talks about more colors and things. But man, it's just, if you've never read that account, I should go back and read it. But man, he is there, and he shows who he is, and he shows how powerful and how strong. Look at Revelation 19. And so yeah, you want an impressive car. Our Savior's bigger, better. It's not just for show. Revelation 19, verse 11. And I saw heaven open. Behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True and Righteous. And he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and his head were, um, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon the white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he might smite the nations, and he should rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of God Almighty. And he had on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords! Exclamation point. That's it. (laughs) There's no one above him. He is the King of Kings. He is Lord of Lords. And the big battle of Armageddon is speaking a word, and it's done. And so, uh, I ought to quit there before we go too much further. <laughs> but Solomon's trying to put on the big show. And uh, as we'll pick up um, in, in chapter 4 next week, he starts to make a little headway. I thought we might get that far tonight, but uh, we've we got to be cautious. You know, the longer we're in this world, you know, it is um, to die for Christ is gain, but to live for Christ is better, you know, so we can live for Him. And martyrdom, we stand for that, and I think God would give us the strength to do that. But it's hard to live for Him every day, and I think He knows that. And so He puts these things throughout the Scripture. I am coming quickly. My reward is with me. Be faithful unto me. Wait for me, so that we don't forget. Because it is hard to live each and every day. And there is times when we have weak times, but praise be to God that He forgives. And that He'll bring us back around and gives us a time to repent and get right. And so we're going to see... Her get lured away for a minute, but then she resolves. She makes a stand and she remembers her commitments. Remember your commitments. Uh, remember the verse this morning we read about, examine yourselves daily that you're in the faith. Remember what's most important, serving him, pleasing him, being acceptable unto his sight, and not what the world tries to lure us away to and tempt us with. We should stand faithful for him. So it gets real good. We have some battles coming up here in chapter 4. And so we'll pick up there next week. And so, uh, yeah, I was a little zealous when I thought I could get it done in two weeks, but that would be fast, fast talking. But uh, I don't think we want to do that. <laughs> uh, appreciate you being here tonight, and we'll close the word of prayer, and then we'll be dismissed.